Hello, everyone. This is Belinda Carr, and you're listening to my podcast on building science, products, and technology. As we know, the construction industry is ripe for automation and disruption. It has been reliant on manual labor and outdated tech for far too long, which has led to lagging productivity. Every week, I chat with a company that is exploring ways to tackle these issues. Today, I'm speaking with Mike Pivik, CEO of Fast Brick Robotics in Australia. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Great to be with you, Belinda. So I've been following your work on the Hadrian Brickling robot for a couple of years. So I'm pretty excited to learn more about how it works and how you develop the technology. I also told the YouTube community that I was going to be speaking with you and they sent in some very, very interesting questions. So I'll integrate them into our conversation. So let's start at the beginning. So Fast Brick Robotics seems to be one of those businesses that's that's a labor of love. You've been working on it for a long time. So you, you're one of those companies that identified this problem of manual, heavily relying manual labor very early on. So when did you actually start uh, with the idea of a bricklaying robot? Well, the technology development, the stabilization tech that sits behind the machine uh, started a few years before uh, it was identified that a a good place to apply that technology was in a a robot that could, you know, lay a brick or a block and and build a structure from a 3D CAD file. Uh, And what tipped that off was um, we had a, you know, as you know, construction is a very cyclical industry. Back in 2005, we had quite a building boom happening in Australia. Uh, and every time that, that happens, obviously, um, tradespeople become uh, hard to get and very expensive. Uh, and bricklayers back in 2005 were uh, becoming more expensive. Uh, and then it was, it was proposed that, you know, somebody, you know, try to automate the laying of a brick. And that sort of message crept around. And my cousin, Mark Pivak, who's our uh, chief technology officer and my co-founder of FBR, um, he sort of put his hand up and said, well, look, I think I could build a machine that could do that. Um, and he was able to gather together some seed funding from a couple of very large organisations in Australia uh, and also tapped into the Australian Federal Grants uh, Program, uh, which is which is really quite generous for, for startups. Um, it's got a little bit worse over the years, but back then it was very, very attractive. Um, and then consequently, uh, he built the first... Uh, Hadrian 105 prototype, which he he built on the on an excavator base. So he, he bought a you know a, a Caterpillar 325 excavator and and he sort of stripped it down and he built this new boom and he put all this automation stuff on the back of it. Uh, and on the day that they were uh, presenting a new information memorandum uh, to some investors was the day that the world woke up to the global financial crisis. And then consequently, this project got put into hibernation, just like, that's it. Let's just shelve it and see what happens. Nearly six years later, um, that was when Mark and I sort of got together and said, well, let's, let's have another go at this. Um, and, you know, we funded it ourselves there for quite some time. So your excavator to- machine was in storage for about six years? Yeah, it was. It was just taking up factory space. Uh, and, and Mark said to me, look, you know, come and have a look at this. Let's see what we can do with it. Otherwise I've got to sell it for scrap. And he actually got a quote for how much he would get for it for scrap, right? That's how far, that's how close it went to going in the rubbish bin. Um, anyway, we sort of put a bit of a plan together and we said, well, if we can spend the next 12 or 18 months, uh, you know, pumping some money in and getting a lot of, um, we had a lot of uh, university 
graduates working with us on weekends and stuff, and we would pay them when we could uh, and only when we could. And these young fellows were just so enthusiastic, you know, young mechatronics engineers, and they had a real live, you know, robot to work with, which was exciting for them. Some of them still work for us today, um, which, is, which is a great story. But, um, you know, we're able to get that machine to basically put three bricks on the ground in the right spot, 25 metres away. Oh, and wow. from that, yeah, from that point on, we went, well, okay, if we can put three bricks through that machine, we can put 3,000 bricks through that machine. So we were then able to, you know, um, uh, raise the first real sort of bunch of money to get the project up and away. And that was in uh, late 2015. We actually listed the company um, and raised our first, you know, $6 million and, and were able to get the project well underway. Since then, we've produced, you know, two Hadrian 109 machines, which one of them you can see in the background behind me there, which are both working in the Perth construction market now. And we have the new Hadrian 110 machine uh, under assembly as we speak. Uh, and that machine has a, a much larger capability. I, it's much faster and has a longer reach, uh, but more importantly, it will deliver a much more, uh, a stronger economic case. Uh, which is really important when you're delivering, uh, you know, solutions to the construction industry. And, and um, you know, I know you understand this well, but, you know, you've got to be uh, better, cheaper, faster. Uh, and, you know, if you can't be those things, then your adoption in the marketplace is going to be very low. Yeah. So we've focused ourselves on uh, ensuring that we can bring a machine to market that the industry wants, needs, uh, and will be prepared to pay for. But on the journey, really significantly, um, we, we focused on uh, safety and waste reduction as two really key elements of our machine development and our overall program as we sort of moved along the, along the pathway and along the journey, along with obviously making the machines fast and, you know, uh, and accurate and all, the, all those sorts of things. But, you know, safety and, and waste in the construction industry are two very, very uh, important subjects. Um, we haven't been able to make a lot of ground on those two things over the last, you know, sort of 5,000 years. So um, it's important that we, we captured as much as we could in improving site safety. And mostly that's around just eliminating the need for humans as much as possible. We still have what we call people in the zone. So uh, a PIS guy will work with the machine and he will sort of walk around the site and, you know, he might place brick ties or he might put some insulation in between some cavities and bits and pieces. He might correct a brick that might be a little bit out of alignment or something like that. Um, but he doesn't need to be doing anything dangerous yeah. is, is the goal, right? And obviously the machine operator sits in an air-conditioned cab and he runs the machine with a tablet. So no lifting heavy things, no working from heights, no repetitious, you know, in, injuries. Um, Dropping you know, the, bricks the or anything, yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the construction industry has a, has a terrible um, has terrible safety Track statistics yeah. every year, you know, so they really do. Uh, and then, of course, you know, construction on the waste front, uh, you know, unfortunately it does, you, you, construction just generates a lot of yeah. waste and anything that you can do to sort of um, improve on that, so let's step back a little bit. I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's let's step back a little bit. Um, the, so you've talked about a lot of things. In the beginning, you talked about the funding. And there was um, and one of the questions we got from our community was the amount of money that went into building a business like this. You briefly mentioned that you listed your company on the market. 
was that different than what you see companies do here in the states is it did it work differently does it work differently in australia look there was basically no venture capital um capabilities in australia back in you know sort of 2012 it was really not not happening here um whereas we see a lot of you know vc funds and activity in the us it's an entirely different funding environment uh, companies just don't list in the US and, and well, you can't anyway, you know, you, you have a different set of listing rules there. Um, but occasionally in Australia, um, the sort of rules relax where you can do a, what they what they term as a reverse takeover, where you can list uh, by utilising the shell of a, of a company, a former company that perhaps didn't quite get to where they wanted to be. And we so we adopted one of those sort of shell companies and then did a reverse listing onto the ASX and that allowed us then to sort of start raising money that way. But it's a different model to what you see anybody else doing. It's there's only uh, you know sort of very short windows of opportunity for that in Australia. It sort of comes around maybe once every five to ten years, and it just sort of coincided where we were like at the point where we really needed to raise money or we were going to have to put this thing into the scrap heap. Um, so it worked for us. I'm not saying it's ideal or perfect, but um, it's allowed us to get to where we are. Uh, and, you know, tapping the equity markets for funding um, is one strategy. And of course, you know, going down the, the venture capital route uh, and, and attracting funding that way, um, you know, they, they both have their, their sort of fors and against, you know. Like I said, it's just the story behind your company is so, uh, it's so touching. Like you all have, put your blood, sweat and tears into this, try to, to try to make it work, whether through downturns and, and all these hurdles that you faced being in Australia, going through the, the 2005 recession, everything, you've, you're still doing everything you can to make this work because you believe mm. in the tech. And that is such a beautiful story. Um, the last time we spoke, you, you said something very, very powerful to me because you it showed how you have a very realistic and grounded perspective running this business you said if this technology isn't cost competitive it's not going to take off it is always going to be a niche industry it's always going to be a gimmick and it's not yeah. going to be successful in the wrong long run and making so making the hadrian cost competitive to traditional uh, bricklaying was very very important to you yes absolutely it's important to the building community. It's as simple as that. You know, they want to build better. They want to build safer. They want to generate less waste. Um, you know, there's not a building company around that's not trying to do all those things right. Um, but when you're dealing with the same sort of materials and the same sort of work methods and, and all those things, it's very hard to make any change that's not, uh, that doesn't affect the cost of building that structure. This is a very important bit because, you know, we, we can't, as we go down the pathway of making improvements in the construction industry, make it more expensive. Um, it must become uh, cheaper and faster and better. Um, and, you know, I see a lot of different things, and I know you do too, um, being developed around the world, and there's a lot of, you know, sort of hype built into these different sort of methods and um, new construction machines and techniques that come in. And at the end of the day, we, we see very few of them actually reach, you know, full their full market potential, you know, and, and it's because at the end of the day, um, if, if you can't meet the, the, the cost point expectations of the, of the building community, 
they'll just keep doing what what they're doing today and and you know fair there's enough there's no incentive to change that's right and so it's up to us you know the the innovators to not just come up with a different way of doing it but come up with a way of making it better cheaper and faster than what how we're doing it and that's been our focus you know and we, we've decided we decided a long time ago that you know we'd we'd die at the wheel trying to achieve that because we just didn't want to be another you know sort of hype company where it's like you know we're gonna we're gonna change the world we're gonna put roofs over everyone how everyone's everyone's heads and we're gonna solve the world's you know housing shortage problems we, you know you won't hear us saying those things so uh, is the Hadrian to... so is the Hadrian robot cost competitive to brickling in in Australia? Look, it is at the moment, but we know it can be so much more. Okay, so the 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 machine you can see behind me in that image, um, you know that that lays bricks at around about you know ten to fifteen times faster than a human, on an overall structure basis. Okay, not on a necessarily a minute by minute basis, but you know, we can produce a house, full house structure and say, you know, a couple of days, 27 hours is about the average time of laying time. Um, and we can compete with that and we are competing with that in the, in the Perth market now, but that was not the goal of those machines that we have at the moment. They were, they were sort of dream makers, if you like. That was to prove that this is all possible because no it's one feasible, even believed yeah. yeah, no one even believed that we could do this. No one thought that you could put a you know, a pallet of bricks in the back of a, a fully mobile robot uh, and print a, you know, full house structure, you know, 25 or 30 metres away um, through a stabilised robotic boom uh, without a human hand having to touch a brick, right? Uh, which was what, what we've done here. Uh, that was the goal of these machines. Now we know that that all works. Now we know where the bottlenecks are. Now we know where we can make the real improvements. And now we know how we can make this sing from a, an economics perspective. This, there will be no other way. When we've done with this, there will be no other way of producing a load-bearing structure uh, with any other type of material, with any other type of machine, yeah. anywhere, anyhow, other than using a machine like this. Right? So that, the machine... Is, yes, sorry. So the machine itself doesn't pour mortar in between the courses, right? You lay the, the bricks and then you pour mortar in the, the voids, the cavities. No, what we do... Uh, Linda, we've introduced a construction adhesive system. So um, we use bricks that have been uh, rectified uh, top and bottom. So they're quite accurate in their, in their height, not so accurate in their length, which isn't as important to us, but they have to be quite accurate in their height. So we need quite a consistent um, uh, geometry of, of the blocks themselves or the bricks, right? So our, the cost of our, the bricks that we use are generally about, about 10% higher than, the, than a normal off-the-shelf brick because it just needs to go through one more process in the, in the, in the plant, right? And then we use construction adhesive, which is two to three times stronger than standard wet mortars that, that bricklayers use. And because this is the non-cosmetic load-bearing structure, you don't see these walls, right? Inside walls are either plastered and drywalled and, and painted and hanging your pictures on there. And on the outside, you either have a, a, a rendered skin put on the outside, you might have a layer of insulation, rendered skin, or you might even have a, a, a face brick finish put on the outside of the house. Um, so the, the structures that we build, like the one you see behind us, which is a cement block structure, we also build these with clay bricks and all other sorts of materials too. 
but we just eliminated the need to put wet and water between the joints because a robot doesn't need a leveling agent. See, the, 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 the mortar joint really for a manual bricklayer uh, is a way of leveling each brick as he goes along the wall, okay? Whereas with the robot, uh, it will only lay a level brick. It doesn't need to go, mm, I need to lift the next, this one up or maybe put the next one down. It will only do it the way that it's been programmed mm -hmm. to do. So providing you're starting with a good slab, you know, reasonable, reasonable quality slab, you just build course by course, layer by layer, and you just put them together with construction adhesive, which, you know, has got hundreds of years worth of cycle testing proof that this stuff is not going anywhere in a hurry. It's very strong. It's safe. It's, you know, most of the things that are in your home are used, uh, already stuck together with pretty well the same material. You know, the desk that's in front of you at yep. the moment and the shelves behind you, they all use basically the same sort of construction adhesives. And we've just now incorporated that into the walls of the home. Obviously, we've had that certified for use. We've got our US certification process uh, almost at the end, uh, which will be a great outcome to not only be able to present robots to the US building community, but in a, uh, you know, a fully uh, registered and approved way. So you know, that's the other thing that you've got to do is not just come up with a, you know, a technology. Yeah. You've got to have it you know, certified for use. Tested. And it's got to go yeah. through all the rigors of testing and, and all those sorts of things. So to answer your question, um, we don't use wet mortars anymore. We use, we've, we've gone to modern construction. Adhesive. But you do use some sort of reinforcement in the walls. Not necessarily, uh, only if the building code calls for it. So, you know, a masonry block uh, is around about, you know, anywhere between 12 and 30 MPA. So it's a very strong piece of, uh, of, of building material. Uh, we don't need to put pillars or reinforcement in the walls because they're all, it's already a load-bearing piece of building material. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so, like, if you go two storeys, like the, the blocks behind me in that image there, you can go to 10 storeys with those blocks without putting reinforcement oh, in the walls. Oh, my gosh. Like yeah, but if you go to, you know, so, say in Florida, for instance, in certain areas in, in Australia where you have high wind loadings, uh, the building code may call for... Uh, reinforcement to put in some parts of the walls uh, and also that it might call for um, core filling with concrete in certain parts of the house structure too just to give it that that additional structural integrity um, but if you're not in high wind load areas um, or, or volatile sort of uh, you know volcanic uh, areas you don't need you don't to do need anything that. like that basically just print the structure put a roof on it and, and lock it up so does the robot also lay the construction adhesive that you were talking about or is that yeah. done by it does yeah so when the brick comes down the through the boom the last thing that happens to is that it goes over a um, an application roller and it gets gets the, the the right dose of material put on each brick and it does have to be dosed because it's a very strong material so we actually have to engineer it downwards not upwards like we don't put lots and lots of this stuff on to make it stronger because Walls actually do have to have some cracks in them from time to time, and you want the cracks to appear on the coursings of the bricks. You don't want it sort of cracking diagonally through the wall because buildings do move, yes. right? doesn't matter whether it's built by a robot or built by hand, structures Sound move. and contract, uh, yes. For, yeah, for various reasons. So, no, we, um, we don't need to put any of that in the walls. So what has the reception to your new technology been like in Australia? Are build us still as old-fashioned as they are here in the states or have they really been excited and they're willing to try it out 
Look, they have been conservative and, and rightfully so. You know, when someone sort of comes along with a new, you know, way of doing things, <clears throat> they generally like to stand back and, and, and watch what You don't want to be the guinea like, pig. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, you know, rightfully so. But we've been really fortunate. We've had, we've had fantastic uptake in Perth. And, you know, timing-wise, it was probably good for us because we, we did sort of enter the market, although three months after the beginning of a global pandemic, but that aside, that, that little wrinkle uh, aside, um, it, it's also a very um, high building activity market at the moment in Australia. You know, there was a lot of stimulus money went into the construction market, as it does generally anywhere around the world when, when you know, you sort of try to fight off a recession and keep the economy stimulated. A lot of money gets put into, you know, uh, attracting people to building new homes and, and keeping the construction market buoyant. Well, that's how it's been in Australia the last couple of years. So we've had a you know a pretty buoyant market. There's been a lot of demand out there for bricklayers, and they've been hard to get, and they've been expensive. So it's been quite easy for us to get the customers that we've needed, which is good because we've been able to prove our wares yeah. to to our customers, um, show them what we can do, uh, make improvements to our processes and procedures on the way through. You know, we, we're the new guys in town, right? So we've got to we've got to fit into the way that they do things. We can't sort of present a new product and a new process and say, hey guys, you've got to change everything else uh, if you want to use these robots. What we've done is we've, we've, we've ensured that we just, we just come in and do the bricklaying bit. We don't have to change, we don't want to change anything else if we don't have to. That should still be a seamless process for the builders. Um, Shouldn't be disruptive to, to everyone else and yeah. every other you subcontractor. You've got to fit in, you know, you, you, just, you just got to fit in. You can't be a, you can't, so expect builders to change the entire way they build a house, okay, just to incorporate your, you know, breakthrough technology. And I know that there are <clears throat> some other stuff, there's some other, you know, tech uh, developments going on around the world where the tech's fantastic. And I think some of the stuff that people have created is amazing, but it is going to require the construction industry and the, the, to the building. To be completely system. disrupted, Yes. Yeah, that's, so going to be hard. that's going to be hard. That's a, that's a real barrier to entry for those for those folks, I'm afraid. So like I said, you, you've taken such a grounded, realistic approach to this. You're like, you're not going to interfere in what other people are doing. You're going to fix this one thing, have people adopt this new solution. And then, then maybe you could start working with other trades in the industry. So how yeah. many pr projects have you completed in Australia over the past two years? Look, if we if we talk house equivalents, because we've done you know a few large commercial uh, jobs and we've done some high density unit development jobs, um, it's probably only the equivalent of about thirty standard houses, you know, four bedroom, two bathroom homes in terms of size and brick volume. But what we have done, and we we we've done this uh, purposefully, is we've we've chosen the early jobs for the robots to be as varied uh, in size and complexity as we possibly could to, to really put not only the machines, but also our, our people, our teams through um, the rigors of uh, proving out our ability to handle complex jobs. You know, like the one, the one you can see behind me there is um, it's a 16 unit multi-story development. This one for Western Australia's largest property developer, 
Um, and it's the first time we've ever built two stories with the machines. It's the first time we've done what we call retreat builds because each of these units behind me is interconnected. They all have party walls. Um, they have triple cavity walls. Uh, the triple cavity walls go up to eight meters. And this is a very complex structure that we're building there. But the, the brilliant thing is we can do it. So it's not as though we say, look, you know, as long as your structure is, you know, no, no wider than 12 meters and no longer than 15 meters and no higher than three meters, we can do it. Um, give it to us, whatever you got. Um, we can we can ask the machine to do it. Uh, we can generally get the machine in the right sort of position. Of course, we model all that out yeah. before yeah. we get to site. We know if the machine's capable of building something before we before we leave. We know exactly how many bricks are in the structure before we get there, and all those things. I mean, that's that's the beautiful thing about <clears throat> digital construction, and that's a it's a really important term because people are going to hear that a lot more in the future. Um, you know, it's just we we we're sort of moving away from the human hand as much as we can and we're digitalizing everything now as as much as possible uh and you know some of the real manual laborious trades particularly like masonry and bricklaying um you know they're they're really hard jobs you know the guys and girls that do that work seriously earn their money right um and and i admire not only the the hard work that they do but their workmanship too you know the the artisan work of a bricklayer in my view is is just outstanding and i love it always have i've watched um, some of those competitions i think they're in vegas where they have the speed bricklaying and yeah. the, they're the they're machines those humans really look like machines because they are the super clean but they build it so fast Oh yeah, no, they, they're good. Enough. Yeah. The problem is, Blinda, there's not enough people coming out of schools or universities that want to do that. Uh, and the guys that you're talking about in Vegas, and I've been there and seen them too. They're they're amazing. Um, unfortunately, when they get to about 45 or 48 years of age, not only do they start to slow down, but they find it very hard to tighten their shoelaces. You it's know? taking a this, toll on their bodies. Yeah, this is the thing, you know, like we've we've got to let machines do the hard, heavy horrible stuff right the dull dirty dangerous those things and let the masons do the work that they that i think really only a human hand can do you know that 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 real face brick finish on a house is, is stunning and i can tell you that's going to be a damn hard thing to get a machine to do in my why, view. why do you say that because there's there's a there's a coordination between the human hand and the human eye and it has a way of of looking at a you know an area that it's that they're going to cover with with bricks and they can they look at it from one end they go okay, i'm gonna put this brick here and that brick there and this brick's a little bit darker in color so i'm sort of going to put that one there you know there's just something that you some things that's going to be damn hard to replicate with a machine but i think when you look at the amount of available bricklayers and masons around the world right now and the way that the numbers are, are um, reducing every year due to you know people retiring at one end and not many people coming into the trade at the other end, the more we can get the machines to do on the uh, heavy, hard and horrible or the dull, dirty, dangerous, the more we can use the available bricklayers to do the work, you know, that hand-eye coordinated work that I think only, only humans can do. And, and for them, in fairness too, I think that's, you know, they get paid more money to do that than they do to lay the bricks like you see behind me yeah. all right so they you know the, the the sort of the stuff that you never see in a structure the the non-cosmetic load bearing 
bricks and blocks, let the machines do that. It's too hard and heavy for people. Uh, and let's use the the skilled, qualified tradespeople that we've got to to do the, the you know the real artisan work, the stuff that we really like to see on a building. So earlier you mentioned the software side of it, the digital construction side of it. Um, so that's what like being working in architecture firms, I was always very disappointed to see how much data was lost from a BIM model, from a three D Revit model, to construction drawings, because you have all this information you can extract like square footage and even uh, the volume of a space. And once you just print it onto sheets of paper, send that off to a job site, you've lost all that data. So your company has developed a proprietary software, a sort of like a slicing software where you all uh, can calculate how many, exactly how many bricks are gonna be needed to be taken to the job site and um, also, how how the bricks are going to be laid, the sequence of events. Hmm. That's right. I mean, look, you can't have a <clears throat> you can't have a digital construction machine without having a, a software platform developed for it specifically. I mean, you know, we we've we've developed our software program, our, our bespoke one, so that it aligns nicely with uh, platforms like Revit, because you know it's I think seventy five percent of the world's designers and architects use Revit. Um, so if you're not aligned again with what is being used on everyone's design table, they're not going to, they're not going to adopt you, you know, so very quickly you can take a Revit design and run it through our, um, architectural design platform that, that we've developed. And it does give you some really important data. Um, and it, it does allow the, the build sequence to continue through on a single source of data. You know, what happens when you reach the manual trades generally is it goes from a, you know, a, a program on a, on a laptop or a tablet to a piece of paper, you know, where you see guys sort of walking around a building site, you know, turning pieces of paper upside down, trying to work out which way is up. Um, and then at some point in time, it turns back into a digital construction sequence, right? And this is the gap we've tried to close. Now, very quickly, we can, we can take a, a, a design that is either come off a designer's table or from an architect, or perhaps even something you scribbled on the back of a, a napkin or a, or a, or a coaster at, at a bar. And we can very quickly turn that into uh, a structure uh, where we know uh, a lot of things about that house, that house structure that we will know for the next 150 years while it's, while it's up, you know. But importantly for us, we know exactly how much product is required to build a house uh, to the brick. We know exactly how many bricks need to be cut, whether they be halves, quarters, or three quarters. And importantly, we know exactly how much material we will discard to landfill before we've even started building the structure. And this is something that I've really tried to press home with our team over the last few years, is I feel that that's one of the most important things that we can contribute here uh, is try and reduce the amount of over-ordering that goes on for building materials, particularly on the brick side, okay? Uh, so much masonry waste goes to landfill um, and it, it doesn't deteriorate well over time, as you can imagine. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, once you've made a brick or a block, it's pretty well gonna be like that for eternity. So we have to reduce the amount we are throwing out, which, you know, the benefits of that flow right up the chain because if it means that you're throwing less out, it means you have to order less. Yeah. So someone somewhere is paying for less uh, someone somewhere is making less and therefore we're, we're actually, you know, using less materials and we're having less of an impact on the planet. 
you know, it's, it's the benefits flow on. Let's use less people. Let's throw less, throw, throw as least as possible out. And, you know, we've just demonstrated in Perth uh, with our Hadrian 1 machine where we were able to build a full house structure without throwing a single brick to landfill. Okay, so we took wow. exactly, exactly the right amount of material. We, we had uh, pre-sequenced pellets delivered to site. There was, I think, four pellets had, you know, quarters and halves and three-quarter blocks stacked on them. And we put one of those pellets in the back of the machine along with, you know, three or four pellets of standard size bricks. And the, the, the program uh, that the machine was operating off uh, had the machine picking exactly the right brick at exactly the right time, no saw, no cutting, no silica dust. Uh, and we printed that house out and there was not a single brick left in the back of the machine when that last one went down. And that's a massive achievement. Um, Much cleaner I, I job site too. Totally. It's just, it's so much better in so many ways. Uh, and so, you know, if we can do that mainstream, if we can get the, you know, the pre-sequence pellets coming out of the brick factories that way and delivered to site ready to go through a robot, you can imagine the benefits that flow if we can, if we can get that to happen. And that's going to be one of my next challenges is not only, you know, we automated the laying of brick, we, we've got to bring everybody on this, on this journey, not, you know, the, the brick manufacturers and also the builders, you know, everyone's involved in, in sort of making a contribution toward this, in, this improvement process. You know, let's, let's make less, uh, let's use, use less, less. And, and let's discard Wasteless. less. Yeah. yeah, and all that. At the end of the day, someone somewhere is paying less for that house. Now, if I'm going to make any outlandish statements about improving the planet, Linda, uh, from an affordability perspective, the only thing that we can do really, I believe, is try and do things uh, faster so that there's less labor cost involved and use less materials, okay? If we can do those two things, someone somewhere is paying less for that home, um, you know, and that, that really can, I think, be our, our only real true contribution to that. So related to the effect that we have on our environment is the use of concrete. Now, mm. the Hadrian, that, that's obviously a, a concern right now is the carbon footprint of concrete, carbon footprint of CMU blocks. And there's a lot of innovation going on in that field, in the material sciences field, where people mm. are coming out with new types of bricks. So you have actually future-proofed the Hadrian robot to use different sort of bricks in the future. Indeed. Yeah, we can see that, you know, over time, there's going to be, you know, um, a lot of change in, in the way that building materials are developed. Uh, with a focus on, you know, improving the impact on the, on the environment, of course. But, you know, as long as something looks like a brick, is shaped like a brick, regardless of what it's made of, whether it's made of, you know, exotic polymers uh, or green recyclables uh, or, or, you know, waste from the world's oceans, whatever that may be, if it can be pressed into the shape of a brick, uh, the, the machine you see behind me there will, will always be able to lay it. So, you know, as we do see a shift away from, um, you know, the more environmentally costly building materials like cement, um, I think anything that's being developed today for the construction industry and, and in other sectors needs to have, a, have a, a very clear focus on the fact that, you know, probably 10 years from now, uh, we're going to start to see a, a significant shift, I believe, away from some of those, you know, more traditional materials towards some of the more uh, environmentally friendly materials. And, and 
the speed of uptake there again will be due to the cost of these materials. It always is. Even though we all believe that, you know, there's a better material that we could be using and, you know, this stuff's so much nicer on the environment. I'm afraid to say that if it's not cost effective uh, or cost equivalent, it's going to sit it's not going to be adopted. Yeah, you're very, mm -hmm. very right. Um, yeah. So all the lessons that you've learned building all these homes in Perth over the last two years, you've used it towards a new version of the Hadrian robot that is extremely exciting in my opinion. It's going to be a modularized version. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, obviously you, you, you learn as you go and you do things that your budget allows you to do and, you, and your timing, your timeframes allow you to do. Um, the, the machine that we have under assembly at the moment, yes, it's a, it's a much bigger robot. It, it allows us to build all of our, all our home structures and buildings from the road edge doesn't need to come off off the curb or doesn't need to come up over the curb if you like as you can see in that image behind you yeah that one's come up over the curb it sits on the you know in effect if that ground was boggy we'd have to put you know bog mats under it and stuff like that to sort of stabilize it a bit um but the new machine will be uh, what we call um road road ready uh, or road verge capable with a 32 meter boom so another eight meters of reach on the boom uh, and importantly, it's sort of broken down into, you know, nine or 10 particular modules, which over time can be improved individually. Uh, and, and it sort of allows us to uh, stay on that path of continuous improvement without having to do a complete machine redesign, you know. So, so what you mean is that if it's composed of 10 parts and you've found a flaw or something that can be improved in one part, you don't have to redesign mm. the entire machine. You can just swap that one part out and That's basically right. create the next version of the Hadian robot. Yeah, and even if it's not a if it's not a not a not a problematic module, we might just see more room for improvement yeah. within that module, and we can develop that on the side. And then once it's ready for trial, take out the old module, put the new one in, and try and keep you know your uh, evolution of the machine going whilst you are producing those machines. You don't want to have to stop and and um, you know reiterate any reiteration of a machine design is a costly thing to do in terms of time and money uh, so you, you, you've got to try and limit the amount of time and money required to, to, to stay on that continuous improvement pathway and modularizing your, your machinery is certainly one way of doing that I mean you know it's what the major machine manufacturers have been doing for years so your business model is not to necessarily sell these robots but maybe to lease them to local builders in the market yeah, look, I think it'll take on a, a couple of different shapes and sizes. Um, you know, there's, there are certain markets around the world where machine ownership just makes so much more sense uh, and the appetite is much stronger toward machine ownership. But in your volume home market, probably in the United States uh, and Australia uh, and Europe, you know, people don't want to have to buy and operate a robot to build a house. What they really want is they want that service on the end of a phone, all right? We, we call it wall on call, all right? <laughs> um, and our business model predominantly is, is a wall of the service model. So um, to, to paint a bit of a visual picture on that or a mental picture, um, you know, if you picture, say, 10 of those machines behind me there uh, working, say, to the south side of, you know, Orlando, Florida, and maybe another 10 machines positioned on the north side of Orlando, Florida, uh, and those machines have been booked 
if you like, for the next 24 months uh, to, to visit certain sites on certain days to build certain structures for, for customers. There's a couple of things that a machine allows you to do uh, very nicely, and that is to accurately forecast the time arrival of the machine, the departure of the machine, uh, and therefore exactly what you can charge for that machine's time. Uh, it doesn't fluctuate. Um, you can forecast that price of delivery of building that structure two years out, which is a real risk reducing factor for the building community because you know they, they're constantly having to deal with the fluctuating prices of building materials and they're constantly dealing with the fluctuating price of labor. What machines do is they stabilize those things. Okay, we don't need that. The price doesn't need to fluctuate. We know what the price of the machine is today. We know what it's going to be in two years' time. Um, so, and then if the builders can book the book the machine's time, then they know that all right, next year we're going to be building a thousand homes with with these machines. And you know those the sort of the operator of that ten machine outlet or franchise, if you like. Um, they just got to keep the machines serviceable and, and get them out onto building sites every day and servicing the building community. So they get, they get the benefits of the machinery and the automation. Uh, I think the home buyer gets the benefit of the cost reduction and the waste reduction and the safety improvements and everything like that. Uh, and for us, it means that, you know, we're producing lots of machines and we're putting them into, you know, multi-machine business units that are positioned strategically in different geographies, uh, whether it be in cities or towns or, or whatever, uh, to service the building needs of that particular area. And what happens that, you know, when the area gets built out or the, the building volume starts to diminish, the machines are mobile. You, you take them to somewhere where the building activity is stronger and you just move them, keep moving them around, you know. So there's, there's a lot of benefits to them being mobile. I think the benefits of the building community are not necessarily to own the machines, but to be able to get wall on call when they need it. And I think the benefits really flow through the building community that way and with that model. So that's the one we're sort of focusing on very strongly at the moment. So I have two really interesting questions from the community. One of them is how do you account for unevenness on a job site? Because the way a slab is poured is never, it's never perfect. We, we want it to be perfect, but there's going to be some unevenness. How do you account for that fault um, while, laying, while laying these CMU bricks? It, it's a really, really good question. That person's obviously thought about this a fair bit. Um, look, there's a, there's a couple of reasons why we get poor quality slabs. Um, it can be poor equipment and um, lack of detail. By the, uh, by the people that are doing it, okay? So what, what we do with the sites that we go to is we, we tend to use the same guys, which they understand that we like to have our slabs done as accurately as possible. You know, you can do anything that you want. It just generally costs you a bit more, right? So if you want nice, accurate slabs, they generally cost you about, you know, three or $400 more to get that work done to the level of, of uh, accuracy that we like. And that's around about three to five millimeters of, of variation over the, 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 the house slab itself, okay? If we get three to five millimeters, that's around about five times better than the accuracy that a, that a, a manual mason will give you over the same distance, right? Oh, wow, okay. Uh, generally, if you, if you did a measurement corner to corner over a house structure after the after a manual mason team has been through, you can get up to you know, 25 millimetres of, of difference in the height. 
whereas we whatever we have at the base if we have three to five millimeters there that's, that's what you'll end up at the top you just transfer it to the top right so we put a bit more emphasis on the slabs if we do get any variation come through the wall anywhere and you can see it if the machine's going around it's doing it course by course and you go oh, that's a bit of a there's a bit of a bump appearing there uh, we have what we call a bridge block and it's just a brick that's sort of got the bottom of it milled out a little bit and we take out the brick there and we just plonk one of those bridge blocks in and that makes it level again. And then the machine just keeps printing around. It's a, it's a real, uh, I suppose, practical solution to that problem. And, and yes, for whoever that asked that, um, we, do have, we do encounter that from time to time, but we, we have solutions for it. Another fun, uh, fun question. I don't know if I would classify it as fun, but what's going to happen if your robot becomes sentient? You're going to have to tell me what that actually means. I'm sorry. Well, if the robot starts having a brain of its own and starts oh. to design, starts laying bricks wherever it wants to lay bricks. And... You know, it's not that unreasonable to think that at some point in time, these things are going to drive themselves to a building site. Okay. They just are. And there's going to be a, there's going to be a trailer of, building materials that's been delivered there and it will it will see that and it will back up to that trailer and connect to it it will be able to feed itself and it will be able to build that structure and depart all this is going to happen probably and hopefully not in my lifetime but i think for you know the the young kids coming through at the moment who see you know ai and robotics and 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 all these um you know technologies that are really starting to get traction now it's it's gonna be yeah. that way for them. They're gonna see that, you know. So, but right now, you all still drive the robot here to the job site, and then after that, it takes over and runs itself. Yeah. Once once the machine knows where the slab is in space, you know. So we we basically take you know three or four surveys of the slab, and then that uh, correlates with the machines, the program of that the machine's been. Uh, uh, emailed of the structure it's going to build and once it knows where that that slab sits in space then it will just build that structure okay um, no matter where it is whether it's below ground level whether it's above ground level um, it, it really doesn't matter as long as the machine understands where that sits and then it knows where every single brick is in space on top of that slab you know it doesn't lay a brick on top of another brick yeah. it lets a brick go in a point of space where that brick should reside if that that's makes sense, true right? yes that's very true yeah yeah so that's not sort of saying like where's the other brick i just laid oh there it is i'll put another one on top if you just ask the machine to lay brick number 755 it will just let a let a brick go in space you know just just let it go out in the open because so that's it's, where it it's similar to 3d concrete printing i mean this is also a form of 3d concrete printing because you're relying on x y and z coordinates you're not relying yeah. on what what happens below, what happens above. Like you just said, right. it lays at this particular coordinate on this on the floor slab. That's right, exactly the same. The only difference between us and the three D concrete printing community is that we're using a you know what we'd term as a QC product, uh, a brick or a block. It's of a known dimension. Their additive material is wet concrete. Our additive material is a concrete clay or an AAC block. Um, but similarly, they're, they're all 3D printers. Uh, most of the 3D printers we see around the world are like a gantry-based system where they put the infrastructure in and then they pump the concrete to the, to the, to the, um, the nozzle through yes. a gantry system. 
Whereas we've developed a, you know, a highway capable mobile robot system to do the same thing. I think in the future, you know, we, we may also do some 3D concrete printing using our mobile system too. You know, that's, that's all possible. Um, but at the moment, you know, there's, there's over 2 trillion bricks and blocks laid around the world every year. Um, and the, the humans needed to lay those bricks and blocks, are, like I said, retiring at quite a high rate now. Uh, and there's a very little uptake of those trades from our 21st century school leavers. Uh, and that's going that leaves a big void that can only be filled with uh, machines. Yeah. And, you know, we don't see a lot of other people in the world doing what we're doing. And we think that's just because it's a damn hard thing to do. Um, you know, the, the, the enabling underlying tech that allows us to do what we do, uh, it's very unique. Um, and no one else has been able to develop it to the level of accuracy that we have. Uh, and therefore, you know, it's, it's important that we try and make as, you know, as much uh, ground dent, or yes. uh, yeah, as many inroads as we possibly, positive inroads as we possibly can while we have the space. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, while we have the space to ourselves. It's tough to be the first in the industry because you have to learn all the hard lessons and the next mm. person learns learns it from you. But you are, like you said, you are one of, I haven't seen any other real company ma- that has made as much progress as you have laying concrete bricks. And it's really admirable. So what are your future plans for the company in the next five years? Are you going to come over to the States pretty soon? Yes, we are. I mean, look, we, we had plans to sort of establish ourselves uh, a bit of a beachhead or a footprint there, you know, two years ago. And literally, I arrived back from the US about 10 days before the pandemic hit us. And all the plans that we had just had to get put on ice. But we're starting to, you know, reinvigorate those plans now. I will be in the US uh, in the coming weeks. Um, you know, the, the market there and the appetite there for this sort of thing hasn't changed, that's for sure. Uh, it's just been our inability to get over there and, and sort of demonstrate what we can do. But we also have a lot of demand for this in the in the European market, in the in the clay block space, in the uh, autoclaved aerated concrete space. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, if you go to the GCC region, the Middle East, uh, around the UAE and Saudi Arabia and Kuwait and Oman and those countries, uh, it is massive, a yes. massive opportunity there. And they need machines there more than anybody because they have much higher labor constraint problems than anyone else in the world there. You know, they rely on 85% imported labor to build their cities and their towns and, and, and their homes. Uh, and that's becoming more and more expensive all the time. Uh, and, you know, building is just such a cost driven exercise. And, and this really needs to be, you know, sort of driven home to people who are thinking about developing something as a, as a construction piece of construction equipment to improve things. Uh, it has to be cost effective. And, and then, you, then there's certain different markets for it that will pay different amounts for it, depending upon its demand and its appetite and its need. You know, some places will pay twice as much for a robot to lay a brick than others. Um, so you look around and you have to assess the best entry, you know, early entry markets for the machines um, and before you get to that, you've got to work out how you're going to make lots of them and who you're going to do that with. Um, then you've got to do a lot of work in the background to understand what's the cost of that machine going to be coming out of a production line, what therefore will become that machine's daily cost. 
therefore, how much do we have to charge per brick to make sure that someone or that everyone is uh, extracting some benefit out of out of the machine? You know, the, the operator of the machine has to make money. The, the 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 builder using the machine has to be using it because he's going to save time or money or something else down the track. And there has to be benefit after benefit after benefit. And if there's if there's a a gap there, if there's a a um, a problem that needs to be overcome, whether it be a, a time or a setup or a cost problem, that's a real barrier apart, to, yeah. to entry. Yeah. I love really how thorough you are, how how much you've thought of every aspect of this business. It seems like such a solid idea. And I'm I'm excited to see the next version of your robot and excited to see this robot come to the States. And um, I, I, we don't have many CMU buildings here in Texas, but Florida definitely does. Um, mm. And I think some, some, of area, some areas in Houston do too. But you're, I'm really impressed with how solid your business is. And congratulations on that. Thanks, Belinda. Well, we're hoping to, uh, like I said, make some positive change and that all the uh, time and effort that you know we've put in as a team in our company uh, does you know reap some rewards and benefits for people into the future. And you know I think um, as pioneers they say you get arrows in the chest and often in the back, and because you're the one that has to go over the over the hill or over the prairie to sort of uh, see what the what the environment's like, and and you learn with every one of those arrows that you get that you've got another problem that you've got to solve. But you're uh, paving and, a path for everyone who comes to this. Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, I, I don't really think of it like that. Uh, I just see it as a challenge that's worth taking on. Uh, and it's a tough one. You know, there's so many aspects to a project like this, you know, from raising the money to do it, to communicating uh, to a an industry that is, you know, reluctant to change for good reasons, and then taking on the the challenge of of getting them to adopt and yeah. use, uh, and and making your you know invention or your creation a, a piece of mainstream equipment, right? I I, I want to I've said this a couple of times before, but you know, for me, I think success is driving down the road and there's a, a Hadrian robot building a house or something and people don't even look twice at it. That's a win, right? That, that's, that's a win right there. When you no longer are different, when you just become the main The norm. Thing. It's not a gimmick. Yep. It's the norm. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And that, that's what I'm endeavoring to do. I'm looking forward to that day, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, you so much for sharing all that information with us. Uh, if people want to learn more about the Hadrian robot, what's the best way to reach out to y'all? Oh, look, we've got a lot of information on our website, you know, www.fbr.com.au. Um, you know, we've got some great content. We've got our own content creation team internally. We film everything we do, and we, we probably talk a bit too much about ourselves, but, you know, uh, our team's pretty proud of what we're doing, and, and, you know, we know we're the only ones in the world doing it. And, you know, we, we often do things for the very first time in the world, like world firsts, and, and we do them that often that we go... Is it the first time in the world that that's ever been done? And we go, yep, I think it is. Okay. And people just move on now, you know, but 
back in the earlier days, it was it was a real thing for the team to actually, you know, kick another world first off. But it happens so often now; it's just become you know, sort of like a an every yeah. other day occurrence. So um, I'm really proud of what we've done, and 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 proud of the people that are working with us. And we'll continue on, you know, trying to I suppose make our little change in the industry, and and you know, appreciate people like yourself and and platforms that you have, allowing people like me to sort of you know, communicate that. Uh, as best we can well thank you mike again and i'll provide links to your website to your instagram page in the description thanks blinda nice being with you today